As he mentioned in my so-called introduction, uh, I spent 20 years at Rice University. We had a rice vegetarian club. And often the children, the, the kids there would ask me, why do you keep doing this? You, you're not making money at it. You're just coming here and you're feeding us. There are 50 to 75 of us. And, you know, what's the deal? And I would tell them, I said, it's just a little piece of what I can do to change your line of thinking for what you should be doing in the world. And that's okay with me. Even if it's just vegetarianism, it's a big step forward. So any of these practices that we follow are a big step forward in a civilized country or a civilized civilization, so to speak. It's getting less and less civil. I mean, look at the way people have been behaving this past couple of weeks. It's, it's astounding. You know, it's just completely astounding. Somehow we've managed to have real elections, safe and clear and honest for, you know, almost 200 years now. 200 years? Yeah, 200. No, not, no, but of 100 and, yeah, 200 years. Gosh, you know, something must be going right. You know, it's not that now just all of a sudden nobody's honest enough to have a regular election and have people get in or not get in or what have you. You know, it's like, it's astounding. But um, this is all predicted in the Bhagavatam and actually by everything that'll be answered pretty much, I can tone a few things a little bit, but for the most part, it'll be reading descriptions from, um, from the Sriman Bhagavatam that, that helps us understand what's, what's really going on and, and whether we should be bothered or, or interested or what have you. So first off, is I have to thank Sabra Boma Prabhu for doing a lot of uh, research for me. And uh, apparently one of his favorite kings in the Bhagavatam is Maharaj Prithu, who's in the fourth canto of the Sriman Bhagavatam. And just to put it in some perspective, he, his story starts when the earth is not producing sufficient foodstuffs for the human beings or the living entities in general. It's actually at the beginning of a yuga cycle of Satya Yuga, when everything is nice and beautiful and, and et cetera, except that he inherits a complete mess. The earth is all full of rocks. The sky is still full of clouds with no, uh, with no rain. Um, there's no grains growing. So the food production is, is basically whatever you can kill and eat is what it comes down to. And then he comes in and resituates the earth by first subduing Bhumi and telling her, look, you can't do this to human civilization. We have to do something. And she explains what's been going wrong. And he says, all right, I can fix this. And between the two of them working together, they reestablish piety on the planet and therefore um, every type of living entity in the universe comes to him and begs for a particular type of sustenance. Uh, it's quite interesting. But uh, his qualities, because he was an incarnation, what's called a Shaktivesha incarnation of the Lord, is to provide, which is actually what the government does. And there's so many stories. I mean, actually, 
And part of the, uh, the end thing, what I'll do with, with from, from the 12th canto of the Bhagavatam, it describes that Shukadeva Goswami, who speaks the Bhagavatam, literally says, I've told you about all these kings because it makes the story interesting. But what all these kings have done to be, become famous and strong and then she speaks about that little fallacy that the kings generally have. But some of these kings, in particular the ones we're talking about, were partial incarnations of God. So they have a whole different thing, and Prithu is one of them. Others are just incarnated. They're, they're, they're basically devotees. So the first thing here is during this heated presidential election season, many people saw negative traits in the candidates but often voted for the lesser of two evils. I thought we'd start off our discussion on ideal political leadership by looking at leaders such as ancient India's King Prithu, who is described in the fourth canto of the Sriman Bhagavatam, chapter 16. And I can read my cue notes here too, if you want, but I think I mean, we can be a little more professional than that. <laughs> First thing is about taxes. Because we always see whenever there's an election, this person's doing this tax thing, this one's doing that, to implicate that we're, we're, something's going to cost us money. Hey, Matthew, how are you? Thanks for joining. Thank you, sir. Okay. So King Prithu will distribute his mercy equally. Similarly, just as the sun god evaporates water in eight months for eight months of the year and during the rainy season returns it profusely. This king will also exact taxes from the citizens and return these monies in times of need. So here the king literally uses the money he collects in taxes for the benefit of the prejudice, the people, the people that he's in charge of. So this is the business of government. It's actually the business of any management. You know, uh, um, modern managerial theory is based on the people at the top tell you what to do and you go and do it. It's a, you know, top, top to bottom type of management. Whereas in the Vedic times, if you take care of the smallest of the people in the community, everything else will work. Which means, and, and there's a description in... Uh, about Marashambrish's kingdom, which is in the ninth canto, where it describes even the animals were satisfied to live in his kingdom. And therefore there was always abundance of foodstuffs, milk product, grains, etc. Okay. And but that's actually the business of a king, and also tolerance, something that we haven't seen a lot of lately. Um King Prithu will be very, very kind to all citizens, even though a poor person may trample over the king's head by violating the rules and regulations, the king out of his cause's mercy will be forgetful and forgiving. And as a protector of this world, he will be as tolerant as the earth itself. And it's described in the first canto of the Bhagavatam that the only thing the earth cannot bear is a liar. Out of all the things we can do wrong in the world, lying is the worst thing. People should simply be honest. 
it's an enormously huge quality and it's actually very hard to develop because we have so few examples of it. Um, I was in a uh, self-help group. I used to work somewhat with the uh, Tony Robbins group. And so we were in a meeting and I says, well, personally, I don't think I purposely lied in over 15 years. And I even try diligently to be completely honest with myself. And the guy next to me looked at me and says, not possible. And I'm, I'm sure, I, I can assure you, I'm not necessarily successful at this, but I really work at it. Because it is, it's the simplest thing we can do for society, for the world, and the hardest thing to do for ourselves. We like to protect ourselves with, you know, smoke and mirrors and lies and mistruths and half-truths and, you know, like that. It's quite company, right there. Yeah, that's the state. Uh, impartiality, text 13. He will be neutral to both his son and the sons of his enemies. If the son of his enemy is not punishable, he will not punish him. But if his own son is punishable, he will punish him immediately. Um, interesting note, how King Prithu came to be is the um, previous dynasty. Um, the king was quite pious, but his son was a horrible person. His name was Vena. And he was so bad that as kids will play with swords and weapons and have fought mock fights and things like that, well, they'd use real weapons and he would kill his playmates. And because he was the king's son, well, he got away with it, but the, per the, the, the populace was always afraid and, and difficult. And he gradually came to the point where he started to place himself. You don't have to worship God, you worship me. Does that sound familiar? I'm the only one that matters. I mean, it's, and it's interesting to note that this is most monarchies, even present today, the lineage still goes through the church. They're ordained by the church to be the king or queen. They actually, they're not voted in by people because they are supposed to be, and this is Vedic injunctions, they are supposed to be God's representative in any particular province, whoever they're responsible for. That is true. They generally fall short. We've seen. But I can speak for several kingdoms that actually do take care of their people much better and, and with very uh, fatherly affection, so they're prejudiced. Most of Europe is like that. The, the education is inexpensive and the healthcare is free almost everywhere. My son went to school in uh, Belgium um, and his wife got a little sick and she was, then that's when they found out that students literally, as just because they're students and they're our future, they get top level healthcare in their country. It costs them almost nothing for any healthcare there. And that's just because they care that the students are more important. Practically, they're one of the most important parts of the citizenry that, that they're, they're going to be the future leaders. So fatherly care, text 17. The king will respect, and by the way, these are the prayers of the demigods, basically, at his appearance. He came after King Vena's son, you know, Vena, his son, and all the atrocities that he, uh, he afflicted. 
So the king will respect all women as if they were his own mother, and he will treat his own wife as the other half of his body. He will be just like an affectionate father to his citizens, and he will treat himself as the most obedient service of the devotees who always preach the glories of the Lord. And again, this is where Vena went off. You don't have to make your jagas. You don't have to worship God. You can worship me. I'm your protector. Worship me. Happens a lot. Text 18. Seek saintly persons association. The king will in intimately associate with liberated persons, and he will be a chastising hand to all impious persons. Very judicial. Okay. So now... That's just laying out the standard of what a, an, an actual leader of a country or even a village um, should be like. I know my, my wife's grandfather in India would, um, would every year organize, every year, every other year, organizing the redigging of the uh, local pond where people bathe and do their laundry and things like that. So they would dig out all the because the, uh, the ponds generally start to erode at the edges and they fill themselves up. So he would, they would drain it every year and he would be the person that was uh, orchestrating the redigging and resettling of the, uh, of the pond. It's a very important because in India, as we heard in, in uh, the first example of the sun, eight months of the year it's hot and dry. So those months of the year, those four months that it, you know, it rains for a month and then everything grows again, which is the rainy season is starts in August, goes through September. And that's been disrupted now because of various reasons, but that's how it used to work. And then it was, and it was pretty much guaranteed. They'd have the monsoons when it was supposed to be, and it would rain very thoroughly for a month or so. And then all the, uh, all the water, places and the ponds would fill up, the earth was wet, the plants would grow. It was, you know, very consistent. Okay, so I think now, Winston, you have questions. I'm supposed to have answers. <laughs> and I promise to be as honest as I can. I won't fake much of it. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> so question one, few modern politicians compare favorably to exalted leaders in bygone ages such as King Prithu or Lord Rama of the Ramayana. Why is this? Is it the influence of our materialistic age known as Kali Yuga? Hmm. Um, no, they don't compare. And it's not that every king in the Vedic times in history and prehistory was, uh, was all completely right. I mean, if we remember and the story of the Mahabharata, which includes the Bhagavad Gita, it, it's, it's a fratricidal war between cousins. One set of cousins had uh, usurped the, uh, the emperorship um, because of material handicaps and a, a, the, un, the early death of one of their fathers, one of the uh, sons who were supposed to be in charge. And when this other king, the other brother, younger brother, who was actually blind, both materially and, and as we go through the Bhagavad Gita spiritually, um, or the Mahabharata, 
And uh, there's a description of that right here. This is when Bhumi starts talking about what happens. Um, we do know anything gained in this world to our effort takes effort, lots of effort, and we have to be focused on the goal, so to speak. Yeah? I mean, to get a college degree means you study and you pass your examinations, you become qualified in any particular uh, field, like in medicine. Would you go to any doctor that said, no, I, I just know these things. I read all the books and therefore I can do, I can be a doctor. Do you need surgery? I can do surgery too. I've read surgery books too. Would you go to that doctor? Or would you make sure he specifically had some qualifications uh, hanging on the wall, like his diplomas that kind of proved that he actually became a doctor before you let him start slicing and dicing on your internals, right? Yeah, so like that. So this is what Bhumi has to say of this. Um, this is in the 12th canto of the Bhagavatam, which is actually like a... It's... It, the 11th canto is a commentary and a conclusion and a refer, re, um, uh, what do you call it? It's been so long since I've been in school. Uh, a, a review of the entire other 10 cantos. So in the 12th canto, it describes what's going to happen because this isn't going to be adhered to by the general population. And because it's, it's, it's time for it, it circles through the uh, cycle of uh, that. So this is uh, called the Bhumi Gita. This is the Mother Earth actually speaking um, what, she, what she learned from the previous Kali Yuga. And, and this is leading into this. Shukadeva Goswami said, seeing the kings of this earth busy trying to conquer her, the earth herself laughs. She said, just see how these kings who are actually playthings in the hands of death are desiring to conquer me. Great rulers of men, even those who are learned, meet frustration and failure because of material lust. Driven by lust, these kings place great hope and faith in the dead lump of flesh called the body. And even though the material frame is as fleeting as bubbles of foam on the water. Verse four, kings and politicians imagine first, first, and this is, they're using intelligence here. I will conquer my senses and mind. Then I will subdue my chief ministers and rid myself of those thorn pricks of my advisors, citizens, friends, relatives, as well as the keeper of my elephants. And this way, I will gradually conquer the entire earth because the hearts of these leaders are bound by great expectations. They fall to see death waiting nearby or they fail to see death waiting nearby. After conquering all the land on my surface, these proud kings forcibly enter the ocean to conquer the sea itself. What is the use of their self-control, which is aimed at political exploitation? Uh, the actual goal of self-control is spiritual liberation. That's what Krishna has to say about the present day politicians. 
So are they doing it? No. They're in it for themselves. They're in it for their gain. And, and they have gain. Hey, Matsy. Welcome back. Right? So they're not going to do anything more than they have to do for the country, for the people in the country in this present day and age. Look at the mess we're in. Now, granted, nobody can control a pandemic. But, you know, there, there were things went on all year long about what the government could do to help people. I mean, they, look, at, look at the mess we're in. And it's not just one person. There's, it's just a mess. This is the age where everything is a mess. People are not qualified. They're not even, they're not even practically sane. If, if their entire goal in life is to be um, forcefully in charge of the rest of the population. Hey, later. My uh, son's nephew. This is Balaram Das hiding behind the chair. But anyway, this is, uh, this is the bliss of home studios. <laughs> anyway, uh, another question. So that's actually a great segue to, to our next question because it's sometimes confusing to know whether you know, we should support materialistic politicians, liberals versus conservatives, socialists versus capitalists. Um, both with their merits and demerits. And a lot of times we default to lesser of two evils. What are your thoughts on this? Is this wrong? I'll tell you a funny story. Back some, this was in the 90s. It must have been 96. Yeah. When they were having, I think 96, they had an election, right? Or it could have been 2000, but I think it was 96. And I was writing my spiritual master to a program. And he says, what do you think about all this mess, Krishna creep? All this political, this, that, and the other. And I said, you know, my grandfather used to purchase politicians and my father used to vote against the worst one. So I, I just have no interest in the sport. You know, I don't like, you know, and so, but that's what, yeah, that's, that was how I grew up in my family. I knew my, my grandfather was a very wealthy man and he used to buy purchase. He, he said, politics is a good business, buy both sides. Never leave, never leave your life up to someone else's consciousness. And then my father just voted against people. <laughs> he never voted for anybody. So that was my upbringing in terms of this. And yeah, this is what, what do you do? I went to vote this time, as I was telling you earlier, I have a friend, one of our devotees, Pramohini Devi Dasi. Um, she was running for state senate and she won. And I went there to vote. We all went, you know, because I wanted to vote for her. The other time I voted as a, since I've been a devotee, when I was working with the Green Party a little bit, we were providing them space to have meetings and et cetera. And I was impressed that they were so judicial and democratic, um, ineffectual in terms of number, but, but, you'd see how they would literally vote on what was their proposal and everybody would agree with whatever the vote was. And, and, you know, as you know how votes go, there's at least a quarter to a half of the room that really wanted it to go the other way, but they would accept it and that would become policy. 
And I was just impressed to see it in action. But of course, in America, it's not very strong. In Europe, the Green Party is much stronger. But, and, I, and to be honest, when, the, when I went to the ballots, anytime there was a Green Party person running, I, would vote, I voted for them simply because the more votes they get repeatedly, the more at least another voice will come to the table that, that might have a degree of sanity to it. I'd like the world to last throughout the, at least all the known relatives I have grandkids, their kids, whatever happens. We'll see how long we live. But I'd at least like to see the world start to get a little better somewhere along the line. But yeah, no, people who, who amongst us has faith in any politician actually affecting their life in any substantially positive way? Don't raise your hand. I can see all the pictures. We are basically apolitical. More? So that's, that brings us to our next question then. In the epic of the Mahabharata, of which the Bhagavad Gita is a chapter, when the Kurukshetra War broke out, there were great devotees on each opposing side. So would you say that more important than our political affiliation is our state of consciousness? What does that mean? Um, it was interesting. I mean, we're, we're actually, for the Battle of Kurukshetra, we're dealing with one family and it was their fight and they were so determined to fight at least one side that even krishna himself could not convince them not to go to war so family members um were obliged other political alliances different parts of the family made were obliged you know simple as that so they did. I mean, in fact, there was one particular situation, and these were thoroughly honest fighters. They fought to the death. Thoroughly honest. They did their duty. They were, they were aligned this way. And even if they didn't want to fight the other opposing person, they are obliged by their professionalism that they're a soldier and they go to the fight. The ultimate issue in that particular fight that Krishna in, in, in um, just prior to Kali Yuga coming into effect, needed to get rid of the most honest and true uh, kings and politicians that were there. There was one story where one of their uncles was coming down to join the battle and his plan was to go to the Pandava side. But when he came to, to one particular place, the Korava side made all these beautiful arrangements for him and his whole army where they were fed lavishly and doted on, all the facilities were so great. And he just made a statement, whoever has done this for me, I certainly owe them a debt. And then up comes the leader of the Korvas. Oh, really? Well, that's good because now you're fighting for me. He was coming down to join the other side. But because he made that statement, he stood by it. And he made one concession that he wouldn't actually fight. He drove the chariot for the biggest competitor for Arjuna. And what he did to, since it was deceit that got him in that position, he says, yeah, I will demoralize him vo vocally during the war. So this guy has to spend his whole, the whole time he's fighting on a chariot with someone who is a respected elder telling him, boy, you're really a piece of, <laughs> you're you're just why are you doing this why are you fighting these people you know you're wrong you know you know you said all this stuff and he would do that to him 
And at the end of the, that, that little episode describing this, Karna uh, uh, said, look, I know I will lose. And I know I will be killed in this battle. I know that. But Duryodhan supported me and therefore I am on his side and I will do my duty. From that point on, he quit harassing him. He said, actually, you are a proper honored person. There was some question whether he was actually a king or a kshatriya. And, and, and so that settled. He says, yes, you are, the, you are actually qualified to do what you're doing. So we don't have that caliber of soldier anymore. A lot of my family went to, uh, went to many wars. Actually, some of them, I just had an uncle that died at 95. He was in the Korean War and, and Vietnam for three or four tours and ended up in the, uh, in the White House Situations Room. He was the last line of command to actually starting a nuclear war. He was that person, this is during the 70s, that would push the button to start the entire process of nuclear war and basic annihilation of the planet. So he liked fighting and he was thoroughly honest and whatever you want to say about it. I mean, it's nice he didn't actually push that button. We all thank him <laughs> for that. But that's what he was doing during the 70s. He was the person, the, the, the last chain of command in starting a nuclear. And there were some real screw ups that happened politically like you know the time that they dropped accidentally dropped an atomic bomb unarmed just off the coast of spain which they don't talk about that much or they also dropped one in south carolina that could have helped our election this time it landed on american soil therefore you don't fly atomic bombs ever over america and they accidentally did that back some 10 years ago. You know, they still goof up. You've got this many atomic bombs that you forget and put one of them on a plane again. But that's what happened. They actually dropped it, dropped out of the plane and landed in South Carolina. Did anybody hear about that? I did. But yeah, he freaked out. He spent about a week just in a coma of anxiety after that, that day. I mean, it's like, whew. I mean, it was just South Carolina. It's not that big a deal on a political level, but <laughs> this is what happens. Keep going. So final question, and we've got a, we've got a triple header here. Cool. The Lon Maharaj advises in the Bhagavatam that we rise above the tendency to have material friends. Promoting bhakti yoga or Krishna consciousness, is there a benefit in being as politically neutral as possible so as not to antagonize or polarize people? In other words, you know, during a war, can we encourage pacifists and hawks to chant Hare Krishna without getting into a political debate with them? Can we strive to be a friend and well-wisher of everyone? regardless of their politics. I have a friend that used to write the, um, what was it called? Battlefield Bhajan blog. He was a uh, sniper sergeant. He used to shoot people for a living. He was that guy, like if you, I, there were some movies, I forget what it was, where you'd see a guy with a sniper rifle. A sniper rifle is about three and a half, almost four feet long. 
It has a 50 caliber shell. 50 caliber means 50 millimeter wide shell. So five, I mean, it's like huge, right? And when that shoots somebody, it goes in the size of the bullet and takes everything out behind it. All the bones, back, muscle, anything. And that's what he would do. He still suffers a lot uh, of post-traumatic stress syndrome. But um, Battlefield Bajan, I think. And he used to worship Sheila's while he was there in the, in the army. I don't know how it all that happened, but... But um, yeah, then and um, you're in a situation, do what you do. I mean, one of our famous Hari Krishna-based politicos is uh, Tussie Gabbard. Her father is, uh, is the mayor of Honolulu, not the mayor of Honolulu, he, but he's, uh, he's in the government in uh, Hawaii. She's actually from either the Marshall Islands, somewhere like that. But um, she, uh, she was a captain in the military. She's quite an interesting person. And she chants Hare Krishna everywhere she goes. She's very cool. She's very, very cool. But um, the chances of her becoming a, a major political figure is, is slim. You know, they have, they have an interesting criterion for who becomes a president in the United States. Other, other senates and Congress and all these things are less strict. But the president is particularly a rather interesting uh, judgment situation with, amongst the bigger people that back certain, you know, presidents and things like that. Like uh, we, there's been exactly one Catholic elected and everyone else has been a Protestant or a Christian in some level or another. Quakers, um, few uh, Unitarians have been in and they're pretty peaceful bunch. Quakers are enormously peaceful, but that was uh, Richard Nixon. He wasn't enormously peaceful as a president, as a Quaker president, but he was a Protestant. And the reason for that is because the fear is that Catholics have a pope that leads their religion, irrespective of government borders. So the fear is that a Catholic would vote according to what the Pope says. So therefore they don't generally get Catholics in. Now how it works and all, I'm not gonna get into that history. But this is the way politics is. It, they're, they're, they, it's a, it can be a legitimate fear, if you think about it, that someone else would have a higher power or a higher person on a religious level that would dictate what they would do as a political leader but again it's we would think that would be an unfounded fear in this day and age but um, yeah we encourage everybody to chant Hare Krishna we don't care what they do a butcher should chant Hare Krishna Prabhupada made a devotee in Germany way back and he was a butcher by profession and he got initiated. And Prabhupada asked him when he came up, like when we have initiation, we give the four regulatory principles, no meat eating, no intoxication, no speculation, no illicit sex. And yes, I will promise to chant 16 rounds um, every day on my Japa Mala. And Prabhupada said, and please don't kill any more cows. He says, yes, Prabhupada. 
cool. So yeah, we everybody should chant. It's better if we chant than we don't. Maybe you're going to be a mass murder chant, but don't chant around the police. Don't let them know you're a Hare Krishna, please. It's really hard to get out of that. Any questions from outside? Um, I don't have a question, but I just want to say, uh, give my humble obeisances to you, Krishna Kripa. This is Samadhi. I'm, I'm wow. Sure yeah. I kept looking at you thinking, I know this person. Yes, it's me. It's me. And um, I'm so Excellent. happy to see you. And, and I, I want to um, hope we can stay in touch. So if Winston, if you could, if it's okay with Krishna Kripa, if I could get his email Absolutely. or something. Sure. Fantastic. That'd be wonderful. Uh, yeah, I, don't, I, I do not have the same email I had the last time we were talking. Okay, okay, wonderful. So, yeah, I actually and, wanted to talk to you because I got an offer to be a mediator in uh, ISKCON. And I oh, thought I wonderful. should call him. I never could figure out how to get a hold of you. So we'll, we'll deal with that later. Okay, whatever I can do to help. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> he has a beautiful, beautiful history. He's a person. They got a book. Bhagavad Gita distributed to him from his father who had it on his bookshelf. His father, I don't think had ever read it at that point, but somehow his son got interested. Well, you know, I have this Bhagavad Gita right here and gave him Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita and he became a devotee. <laughs> I think you're a lawyer in town now, right? A mediator? I, I, yes, I, I, um, I used to practice law, but um, I'm, I'm doing farming now. I have, we have an organic farm and I have uh, some properties Ooh, right. that Arizona that I wanted to share with the devotees. I'm cool. getting it. Yeah. So I, there are lots to talk about here. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. We got to get back in touch, but, but, not, but after the meeting, thank you, Winston, yep. for doing that for us. Yep. My pleasure. I just, uh, pasted, uh, Krishna Kripa's email in the chat. Okay. okay. Ah. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, but I, I have to admit to everybody, except for this particular, I actually don't usually send out anything. I will respond to everybody, but I don't send things out. Hey, Morgan, you look happy. <laughs> They're in a pickup truck. They had to stop because it was getting too crazy here. But um, yeah, keep going. Let's say thank you. Wow, thank you so much. And I really want to talk to you about the farming thing. I, there's another project I've got some involvement in out in, uh, out in uh, Louisiana, 160 acres. Wow, fantastic. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, thank you. This is one of our, oh, gosh, for how many years ago? We were still in Rosalie Street. Yes, that's right. That's right. And and I got the Bhagavad Gita at a garage, a garage sale. It was from a garage sale. I was sitting oh. in. Uh, you, you, you were spot on, spot on. <laughs> five years uh, from uh, 1978 um, or 79, um, somewhere around there to uh, cool, 80. Cool, cool. 83, 84, yes. Cool, 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 cool. Welcome back. All right, thank you. Let's uh, back to political jargon here. Um, <clears throat> and I'm sure you could tell some stories, <laughs> but not today. Okay, any other questions? Uh, can you, I think Srila <clears throat> Prabhupada had some devotees who ran for office, can you say anything about that? They, they, they preached about Krishna consciousness as they were campaigning and so forth. Yeah, well, um, 
Yeah, they did. They had a in God we trust party. Uh, Balavanta Prabhu was in charge. Basically, he was running. I think he ran for mayor for Atlanta was the highest thing he ran for. Um, we also have other devotees out there um, that have gotten involved in judges, city commissions, county commissions. Um, Gainesville, Florida has all kind of people involved in there, both the county and city government. Um, Brahmatirtha Prabhu, good friend of ours, used to be here in Houston back when I was a bhakta in the late 70s. And uh, he actually wrote the... Um, environmental policies for many state um, position statements for them, you know, in, in Carolina, Florida, other places, he was instrumental in writing their environmental policy. So we, yeah, and Prabhupada liked, preferably we would advise the politicians, but it's seldom a politician will listen to us in that sense. So <laughs> advisory would be, was Prabhupada's dream, but the only way to get credit you know, credence in this is to actually be part of the position, the, the, the situation. And then, then, then you can actually work within that realm of exposure. But uh, yeah, one of the uh, devotees, I think is part of land management down in Alachua County in Florida. So cool stuff. And uh, yeah, so better, better we can advise. And, and actually if we all become strong devotees, particularly you younger ones, um, you can be in that position. You know, you can advise politicians. I've had many associations with different politicos around Houston and other places. Um, I have weird karma for getting involved in things. <laughs> but, and uh, it's nice to encourage them in good spiritual ideals. So you, you pay attention to the clock. Winston, whatever you think things need to stop or anything like that. I'll answer questions all day. I put a microphone. So we, we were joking earlier. I said, yeah, I'm good. Like Naratan spoke last last week and uh, <laughs> just give us a microphone. We know what to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to know to stop doing it, but we can do it. <laughs> yeah, we're good on time. I think we've got another 10, 15 minutes. If you want to cool. More questions then. No, no comment. Comment. We'll take that. Um, I just wanted to. You, you've made a. You all. Uh, um. Ever since I've known you, you've kind of made a a big influence on me, and I just kind of wanted to say thank uh -oh. you. Wow. Thank you. Actually, the person that became the that just got elected, I, I made an impression on her back in the uh, early '80s, and she became a devotee, and now she's a she's a professional politician. She's still a good devotee. Lives down the street from us. So thank you. I'm glad. Thank you very much. I try to help everybody I can. I even try to help my family, myself. But uh, thank you. Thank you very much for that. Actually, there's a whole list of people around this temple that, that I've helped at various points in their lives in different ways. Thank you. So back to politics. So there's one older gentleman up in the top. I can't read who it, what phone it's on, but it says Amit's phone. He seems to be talking, but I can't see, I can't hear anything. Anyway, anyone else? Darshana Rani? Oh, Matthew. I had a question of kind of like, uh, like how in Bhagavad Gita, 
258, where uh, it's explained that we, we're not, if we're able to withdraw our senses like the tortoise withdraws its limbs into its shell, that's how we're in perfect consciousness. I'm just wondering, like, uh, how invested should we be in all these politics? Um, uh, because it, it does have such an influence on uh, well here's the, a the let me read something about Maharaj Ambrish because he, he's known as, as the perfection of uh, kingly Vaishnava alright this is uh, Canto 9 chapter 4 starting with verse number 16. Shukadev Goswami said, Maharaj Ambrish, the most fortunate personality, achieved the rule of the entire world, consisting of seven islands, and achieved inexhaustible, unlimited opulence and prosperity on earth, although such a position is rarely obtained. Maharaj Ambrish did not care for it at all, for he knew very well that all such opulence is material like that which is imagined in a dream, such opulence will ultimately be destroyed. The king knew that any non-devotee who obtains such opulence merges increasingly into material nature, mode of darkness. Maharaj Ambrish was a great devotee of the Supreme Personality of Godhead Vasudev and of the saintly persons who are the Lord's devotees. Because of this devotion, he thought the entire universe as being as insignificant as a piece of stone. Maharaj Ambrish always engaged his mind in meditating on the lotus feet of Krishna. His words in describing the glories of the Lord, his hands in cleansing the Lord's temple, and his ears in hearing the words spoken by Krishna or about Krishna. He engaged his eyes in seeing the deity of Krishna. Krishna's ten temples and Krishna's places like Mathura and Vrindavan. He engaged his sense of touch in touching the bodies of the Lord's devotees. He engaged his sense, and by that it means touching their feet uh, and offering obeisances, etc. Embracing equals and like that and offering proper respects to, to their, his elders. Uh, he engaged his sense of smell and smelling the fragrance of the Tulsi leaves offered to the Lord. And he engaged his tongue in tasting the Lord's prashad. He engaged his legs in walking to the holy places and temples of the Lord. His head in bowing down before the Lord and all his desires in serving the Lord. 24 hours a day, indeed, Maharaj Ambrish never desired anything for his own sense gratification. He engaged all his senses in devotional service in various engagements related to the Lord. This is the way to increase attachment for the Lord and be completely free from all material desires. In performing his prescribed duties of being in control of the entire known universe, in performing his prescribed duties as king, Marajan Brisht always offered the results of the royal activities to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna, who is the enjoyer of everything and is beyond the perception of material senses. He certainly took advice from Brahmanas who were faithful devotees of the Lord and thus he ruled the planet without difficulty. 
so basically, as far as I'm concerned, as long as you can do that, you should sure certainly become a king or a president. Why not? But first, become a devotee, because it's more important than any position you can have within the material world. Infinitely more important. If, if, if anyone else has a question, we can offer that. But I can also read a little bit from the, a little bit more from the 12th Canto. Because it's a little more prevalent. It talks about our age. Is there another question? We do have uh, one question from uh, Raj. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, do you have any suggestion for those who have farms like raising more Brahmin breeds of cows? Ooh, Krishna loves a lot. Hi, Krishna. Um, yeah. It's a great way to move. Uh, as far as the details of that, I think our samadhi could uh, probably give us a seminar on it one day. Or, uh, or it, some other way we can discuss more about that. There's a lot parts of it. I mean, Rishab Dave's on the line. He's also got a lot of experience. Um, there's, we have to provide some level of self-sufficiency in this world as it gets worse and worse and worse. And, and we see how difficult the food supply is. Even with the pandemic, we see that all the um, foodstuffs are becoming more expensive and harder to get. It's inconsistent shipping, the logistics of it, all of this that's happening according to how, you know, the, the, the huge industry of feeding people has become, um, it, it's tainted. And they, 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 they can use it as they've always used in, uh, in history to create havoc for the uh, general population, as opposed to trying to make sure they're getting fed. So that's a, that's a long and, and a whole nother topic. There are also some other devotees out there that um, actually do a lot with this in, in both in Florida and India and other places. I even have one God brother that had a, uh, a self-sufficient village in Andhra Pradesh back in the, well, in the early 80s, actually. And he worked in that for quite some time. But let's hear a little bit more here. So after conquering all the land on the surface, these proud kings forcefully entered the ocean, that's where I left off, and to conquer the sea itself. What is the, what is the use of, other, of their self-control, which is aimed at political exploitation? The actual goal of self-control is spiritual liberation. O best of the crews, the earth continued as follows. Although in the past, great men and their descendants have left me, departing from this world in the same helpless way that they came into it. Even today, foolish men are trying to conquer the earth. For the sake of conquering me, materialistic persons fight one another. Fathers oppose their sons and brothers fight one another because their hearts are bound to processing political power. Uh, particularly this comes out in civil wars. Whenever you have a civil war, it's absolutely the worst type of war you can have because it, it pits your own people against your own people, against yourselves. It's very difficult. Political leaders challenge one another and this land is mine. It is not yours, you fool. They, uh, thus they attack one another and die. Plain and simple. It's a whole list of kings here. And it says, as well as many other demons and kings who possessed great powers and control over others, were all full of knowledge, heroic, all conquering, unconquerable. Nevertheless, 
Oh, almighty Lord, although they lived their lives intensely trying to possess me, these kings were subject to the passage of time, which reduced them all. And this is really fun. Mere historical accounts. None of them could permanently establish their rule. Shukadev Goswami, this is really to the point here. Shukadev Goswami then said, O mighty Parikshit, I have related to you the narrations of all these great kings who spread their fame throughout the world and then departed. My real purpose was to teach transcendental knowledge and uh, renunciation. Stories of kings lend power to the opulence of these narrations, but do not in themselves constitute the ultimate aspect of knowledge. The person who desires pure devotional service to Lord Krishna should hear the narrations of Lord Uddhama Shloka's glorious qualities, the constant chanting of which destroys everything inauspicious. The devotee should engage in such listening in regular daily assemblies and should also continue his hearing throughout the day. So that's, that's really what we should be engaging in. Politics, if you're, you have an acclamation for that. And again, a lot of times lawyers, doctors, other people that uh, end up working in civil service get more and more in tune to these things and, um, and, and they can make a difference. If every, every politician got defeated by a devotee, the world could be a possibly different place, certainly. Is it our prime goal? No. Krishna consciousness is our prime goal. All that we teach in Krishna consciousness is so that we go out of this world as a devotee, whether we have to come back into it or not. That's, um, that's just something else. But at least we should do what we can to become a nice devotee in this world while we are here. And we see, as somebody was saying, as a lawyer, now he's working on real useful things. <laughs> it all worked, even he got sidetracked. I, we all got sidetracked. Every single devotee I know has had to work for a living. We've all done something out there if we didn't do it before we got here. That's how it works. Any, uh, so any other parting questions or anything else anybody would like to know? Otherwise, I think you've got a kirtan to do. Yep, I think that is, uh, we've got one more. Got oh, good. A, got one more question from Raj Prabhu. He says, ever since I was attending these Hare Krishna se sessions, I stayed out of the political discussions. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Um, the thing is, how much is it going to matter to us who's in charge of the country. It may create its own set of miseries or somebody else will be there and it'll create another set of miseries. Um, locally, maybe there's a little more involvement you could do. They, I mean, it has because they make laws that actually affect you know, what we do in the city sometimes. But in general, the politicians, um, their real duty as far as they can see in terms of infrastructure, et cetera, is, is to keep up the infrastructure and, and we don't have to involve ourselves in it. We don't have to take sides. I mean, as we were talking earlier, I'm just shocked that half the country still thinks um, the present president is a leader. I mean, I'm, whatever his political anything is, I, I don't know how people would think he's a leader, except that this 
12th canto, the Bhagavatam also says, uh, in Kali Yuga, in order to be honored, must one must have money. That's what people look to for, for um, success. They have other people have money, then they are successful, and they get respect on that basis. But the devotees, people that have Krishna, get more respect because it's more important. So, I mean, it's whether you do or don't. I mean, political discussions are, that's, I know they always say, uh, there's an old saying, never speak about religion and or politics at the dinner table. <laughs> <laughs> it, it will not usually go well, because no matter what group you're in, there's always a different opinion there. True. So, yeah, you, it's best to avoid public discussion, but. Uh, if you if you feel like working that way, do it. It, it. We need politicians that we can trust, at least somewhat. It's not easy. It's the world of compromise. It's really complicated. Yeah. You no one will give you anything in politics if you're not giving something back. <laughs> I can assure you. And therefore, as we heard from the Bhagavatam, they just simply fight about everything all day long. That's what they do. Then they go home and rest up and they come back, you know, two months later and fight again until they get tired. And as long as they're arguing, apparently we think they're working. Whether they do anything with that argument or not is certainly not up to us. We can hope that more politicians will take advice from the devotees. We can hope. So with that, please, let's hear some Krishna chanting. Much more important than anything I've got to say. <laughs> Thank you so much, Prabhu, for an awesome class. Yeah. And remember, by next week, the election is over. Everything's counted. Whoever we've got, we've got. And we're going to go back to the temple and chant Hare Krishna anyway, whatever they're doing. That's right. Let them have it. Keep them at an arm's distance, if not further. <laughs> Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank you so much, Prabhu. Uh, before we go to our Kirsten for tonight, um, just a few quick announcements while we're all here. Um, just a reminder, you know, the weather's been really nice. Um, I think it's going to be sunny and clear for most of the week. So if you've got some time, um, we'd love to see everyone out at Bhakti Urban Farm um, from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. Um, for uh, the fall crop, um, you know, building beds, uh, harvesting, um, harvesting crops, uh, feeding and petting the cows, you know, all good stuff. Um, also a reminder, we've got daily readings of Srila Prabhupada's books by Keshav Bharti uh, Maharaj at 1 p.m. Central on Facebook and YouTube. Um, and then Sunday Darshans at the temple from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. Um, you can RSVP online. And also our program will, will be available on our YouTube channel tonight um, or will be available on our YouTube channel this weekend um, if folks... Uh, that you know we're not able to make it tonight. And I'll post the link to a PDF with all of these links um, in the chat. And that's it for uh, the main part of our program. We'll close off with a, a special Kirtan tonight. Um, it's the month of Kartik. And during this uh, holy month, um, the devotees, uh, the Vaishnavas, uh, sing, sing the Dhammadarastika. Uh, prayers and we'll play that for you right now um, as we close tonight's session. Thank you so much for everyone for joining to us, us tonight. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. And great to see everyone. <laughs>